We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Breaking down the running back dead zone and how we're playing it in 2022. That's what we're talking about today on Stealing Bananas. I'm Ben Gretsch. Newsletter at bengretsch.substack.com. With me, as always, is Sean Siegel, who has released the first part of a 0RB countdown as we record this. We were just talking before the show. He has written the second part. Is going to edit it after the show. Probably by the time this hits your ears, he has released that as well. I would expect the third part will come. The update will come. It is the most important thing you can read every year. I hope you know that if you're listening to this show. But if you are not subscribed to Rotoviz, worth the subscription price in and of itself. If you're drafting like we are at all, you need to know who those players are. I look at them every single year. I change my rankings based on them. I'll be straight up honest about that. There's no one better at identifying who the mid-late round running backs to target, the zero RB targets, are than you, Sean. And today we're going to talk about the RB position. We're going to talk a little bit about the dead zone, kind of the group before those zero RB candidates. We are, and obviously listeners know that Ben is – the running back dead zone guru of all gurus. I appreciate those comments. I don't know that they're necessarily deserved, but we do like going through the exercise of finding the zero RB candidates. Ben, you have had a bunch of articles out this week that your subscribers were dying for and were really excited to get. You have your positional tiers out. I have your running back tiers open and compared to my tiers, not surprisingly, since we do the show together, we talk a lot off the air and we draft together frequently. Our running back rankings are fairly similar, but we do have a few differences. And I'm excited to hear from you kind of what you're thinking of as the dead zone this year. You had some cool streams that you did earlier in this week with CBS doing some drafting, and you got some feedback on there uh, that you're not doing it old school enough, Ben. You're not drafting enough running backs. You're not drafting enough players in the dead zone, uh, we had kind of the exact opposite experience when we did our chasing stolen bananas main event draft last week, where the wide receiver avalanche was in full effect. We were in a very experienced room. You know, I, I'd be okay with the sort of everyday drafter switching up with with some of our uh, main event opponents from time to time, getting a few more running backs taken there in the dead zone. I've got the FFPC redraft rankings up as well. We'll talk about that a little bit. We are going to do some more main events together. We're going to do some more main events separately. This is a fantastic time to be drafting over at the FFPC. The winner of the main event this year is going to win $1 million. You know, why can't it be us or a stolen bananas listener? I think that part is exciting, right? I mean, we talk about these big prizes. We know that only one person is going to win them, but it does inject even a little bit more energy into these. And I mean, drafting like this and and this time of the year, it's just so much fun. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, to your point about why can't the winner be one of our listeners, shout out to last year's winner, the Go Bills team, Dom, uh, I think it's Baranyi. Sorry if I said your name wrong, Dom. 
And I, I, I believe he has a, a co-manager who I'm not sure of. And those guys had a team that was unreal. Absolutely incredible. He reached out to me recently with a super gracious offer to get us those anti-fragile shirts that we talked about on the show, the Dan Campbell anti-fragile shirts. He is a listener and a, apparently a stealing signals reader. He let me know as well. So very cool uh, to know that. And, and yeah, so you're not just saying that we, you know, obviously Dom and those guys did that all on their own, but they are uh, people who are tuning into our content as well. So that's cool to know. Sean, you mentioned that you are comparing our rankings Notice some differences. What what were the biggest things that jumped out to you? Well, we're going to talk mostly about the dead zone, but we do have a couple of guys up here at the very top. So then one of the biggest differences that we're looking at here is that you have moved Javante Williams all the way up to the bottom of your second tier, which I think is really cool. You have Dalvin Cook, Derrick Henry, and Javante Williams. Najee Harris falls into the third tier. I still have him ending the second tier. And then another sort of interesting note is that Aaron Jones, who we inadvertently selected in our underdog draft the other day, I have all the way down into my fourth tier. So I wasn't really that excited to get him there, although we did talk about how he could still be a league winner. I think it's interesting when we're talking about the running back dead zone to discuss where we think that it starts Looking at FFPC ADP, we see that the second round in the middle, we have Aaron Jones running back 11, Javante Williams running back 12, Leonard Fournette running back 13. One of the things with your rankings, you're going to get Javante Williams in that second round a lot. I like that. I think that if you're not sold on Debo Samuel, you want to go that direction. Leonard Fournette ends round two. And then for me, the dead zone more or less just immediately starts because Nick Chubb has that sort of dead zone profile where he's one of the best running backs in the NFL. I think that you want to consider him in half PPR, but he doesn't have the pass catching that you need for a full PPR league, especially when you consider the backups that are going to also siphon even some of the touches that he does get and excels so much at. Then we have James Conner, Travis Etienne, Ezekiel Elliott as the rest of the running backs in the third round. Brees Hall, Cam Akers in the fourth J.K. Dobbins, David Montgomery, A.J. Dillon in the fifth. So we have a couple of questions here. Number one, how are you conceptualizing the dead zone this year? And then number two, and we'll go to this afterward, but the backs that you and I have been taking in the dead zone, are we still confident in them? The question about conceptualizing the dead zone is has been a really interesting discussion all off season, you know, just because I'm sort of somebody who's talked about as having written about it before, and maybe it should, it should be my brand thing. And I should be the one who's thought about this the most. I don't necessarily think my voice is the one that's going to be the strongest on it. I'm sure there are people who have much better opinions on it. My thought process on it is that it's very complicated this year. One of the reasons it's very complicated is in the first few rounds before the dead zone, what you just described with your tiers, where you have Aaron Jones and Leonard Fournette, I don't know if you mentioned him, but Nick Chubb in your fourth tier, I like that. I think those are kind of like dead zone backs. But traditionally, the way that I've described the dead zone is this concept of the wisdom of the crowds. And if people are buying into the players in the first few rounds, then they are probably pretty good targets. But the common thread between all of those three backs I just mentioned is that they all are 27 or will turn 27 before the end of this calendar year. And that's true throughout even the guys in the higher tiers. Over the last several years, we have not had a lot of upside running back seasons from backs that old. One of the reasons I'm willing to still buy into Christian McCaffrey is he's only 26 right now. One of the reasons I'm still willing to buy into Saquon Barkley He's only 25 right now. Maybe that feels like, you know, picking nits, but also with both of those guys, with their injuries recently have not really had significant workloads for a 25 or 26 year old back. The ones that we're discussing that have mostly stayed healthy and played a lot of seasons. You're talking about guys that are not a lock to be falling off an age cliff, but I would say between the group that includes Dalvin cook, that includes Derek Henry that includes Fournette, Camara. Aaron Jones, Chubb, I'm not entirely sure on James Conner's age. Joe Mixon's 26. 
but has got a lot of work over the last few years, and I kind of mentally throw him in there because any chance I can to throw Joe Mixon in there, I will. Connor's actually 27, but again, in terms of overall like touch history, a little bit younger in, in terms of the amount of hits he's taken at the NFL level, if you want to look at it that way. That's a big group of backs that drafters are buying into at advanced ages. And you can throw McCaffrey and Barkley. Into, oh, Austin Eckler is the other one I didn't mention, who's also 27. And I don't think people recognize – I mean, uh, Aaron Jones is 28. Derrick Henry is 28. I don't think drafters recognize how many are going in these first two and a half, three rounds. So you're saying after Jonathan Taylor and Christian McCaffrey, we immediately hit the dead zone. I mean, in, in some respect I, – I, that's, that's not what I'm saying. <laughs> Obviously, in in, uh, in true Sean fashion, I, I think you're you're more accurate with your joke than than less. There are a lot of players this year, and from that group, I would expect that we're going to have some that are not productive NFL running backs in 2023. Right? We did that exercise recently for the first two rounds of 2023. I would expect that we have some of those that I just named that may not even be on a team for the 2024 NFL season. That sounds crazy to most people who are drafting right now in August and they're going that high in drafts, but we've seen that type of fall many times, right? We've seen it with like Todd Gurley from being a second round pick to not really being in the NFL two years later. I kind of think that's where we're headed with Ezekiel Elliott, but we won't go there right now. <laughs> he might be around for a few more years. I might be overstating that, but he has had a lot of career touches. It is very interesting in the first three rounds to see how much advanced age there is in the running backs that drafters are buying into the younger ones. It's a short list are Taylor, Deandre Swift, Javante Williams, who you noted that I'm very high on. And then you're getting into Travis Etienne and Brees Hall who are going behind all of the other guys we've already talked about. You're all, you're probably talking about dead zone backs. There's literally only a couple that are sub 25 in age. Now, the other side of what I just said about how some of those guys are going to fall off is that I do think with this many names being drafted this highly at these ages, we haven't had that in, in several years. That's part of the reason we haven't had a lot of great seasons at 25 or older in the last few years. And we have had a couple. We've had Derrick Henry, for example. He's 28 now. He was doing it at 26. And obviously he got hurt at 27, but 26, great season for him, age 26. Aaron Jones is 28 right now, had some great seasons over 25, but... You would expect this year is also a year where we do get at least one or a few potentially really good seasons from older backs because it's just something that will be will ebb and flow with the, with the league. You got a lot more shots at it this year. A lot more shots at it this year. And yet, this is a really tricky pre-dead zone range. Basically, what I'm getting at is because we don't really have a lot of young running backs that drafters want to buy into, Antonio Gibson or Josh Jacobs or whoever, maybe the ones that are more like 25, David Montgomery, Elijah Mitchell's not getting bought into. We are buying into the older ones. They're a little bit more established, but you never want to pay for past production at running back. And so we get this element where I kind of do think what you said is true. The dead zone starts early. And that's something that, you know, you've said before. I know it's something that uh, Pat Corain wrote in his uh, legendary article last year that we talk about all the time, legendary running back upside article. The dead zone pretty much starts right away. There are a few backs that I'm willing to take early and I'm comfortable taking even some of these older backs, but when I look at your tiers and we look at Aaron Jones in the fourth tier and Fournette and Chubb, I have no issue with that. I have no issue with you being a tier higher on ETN and Hall, for example. Probably not surprising to our listeners who haven't studied Sean's tiers deeply that that's you know that's where where you're at on those guys. I don't know. How do you, let's start there? How do you view that class of older back before the dead zone? And I think that some of the rankings are obviously going to age poorly. One of the things that I'm comfortable with in terms of both putting out rankings and putting out content is that some of the specific takes are going to have that effect simply because we are trying to really benefit from uncertainty, which means you're going to have some big misses as well from the perspective of like how the rankings actually look. But you mentioned these older players versus the younger players. And it's easy to think in terms of guys like Le'Veon Bell and Todd Gurley david johnson and how swift those collapses were even for absolute superstars but this is not a recent dynamic by any stretch one of the earliest articles on rotavez from the fantasy douche that i know really stuck in my head was a look at dynasty evolution that he did 
and you know looking at some running backs and where they were going to be in a couple of years and it just was striking to see that his model basically every running back turns to red almost immediately and i mean that's relevant for dynasty but it's also relevant for redraft right because these backs don't lose value in some hypothetical future season they lose it when you have them on your team in redraft in a specific year that kills you and that is why we want to be careful with these guys when you look at the older backs, you have multiple issues that come into play here. Number one is simply that running back is such a physical position. It's based so almost exclusively on athleticism. And it's one of the reasons why the athletic metrics do come into play when you're projecting guys from college to the NFL more than it does at some other positions. You have to have this elite athleticism that really does peak just so early for athletes you can lose that, but then also, again, just the rigors of playing the position means that you're going to lose it through the hits and those things that you take. So we see these athletic peaks for the running back that are so important for separating you from the other guys. And one of the reasons why we have so many dead zone backs and so many backs like the ones you mentioned who are not being bought into is not that they're not good. I mean, a lot of those guys are actually NFL starters, but drafters are saying the separation between them and other people on their depth charts is small enough that we don't want to take that risk because we know that the EP upside isn't there. I mean, you can't score in a committee and you can lose your job and you've wasted this pick. Well, for some of these older backs, they're closer to that than drafters are realizing. And one of the things that happens to the older players too is that the coach knows that in the back of their mind. They're so when you're 22, 23, 24, you've been drafted early, you're creating all these explosive highlights. The coach is like, I'm going to keep running that guy out there. You have a bad game, you know, no big deal. I know who you are. You get to 27, 28, 29, and you have a bad game. You run into a wall, you miss some holes, you don't break some tackles. And suddenly the coach is not seeing you in the same light, both because he knows that you're older and because this kind of perception of how you're going to go through the next game and the next couple of years changes. Right? It's one of the reasons why we talk about Ezekiel Elliott's contract, for example, and how as the Cowboys get closer to being able to get out of it, then their incentives for playing Elliott versus Pollard shift. And that's something we're definitely seeing in ADP is that drafters are saying, we think the contract is not going to be as big of an issue this year. But that kind of thing also plays into the situation for guys like Dalvin Cook and Alvin Kamara. Now, the Saints probably don't have options behind him that are that great i think that the vikings actually have some pretty interesting players and so dalvin cook gets some of these nagging injuries that he has maybe that becomes a little bit more of a question mark than drafters are thinking now, i'm not saying dalvin cook is going to be bad i think that dalvin cook is one of the best players in football and i would expect him to be good but one of the things that we saw last year and is a little bit of a red flag for these backs who are moving into that range where it's dicey it's not that we're saying they're done but it's dicey Dalvin Cook, Alvin Kamara, both of them cratered in fantasy points over expectation last year. We know that that kind of thing is noisy. We know it can bounce back. One of the reasons you're drafting elite players is because you have this, you know, two, three, four, five fantasy points over expectation per game outcome in the range of outcomes. And you need to have that. It's one of the reasons why you don't necessarily draft a Joe Mixon because his likelihood of outperforming by this large amount is, is much, much less. But when those guys do fall off a little bit, even if you're looking at some of the highlights and saying they look like they still have it, you've got to factor that in a little bit. So I'm probably a little bit too low on Cook and Kamara, but I'm just trying to factor in some of that risk as they move through. Also, there's a little bit of the off the field risk. You never know when something's going to break that actually changes the perception. I mean, one of the things with Deshaun Watson, right, was that I mean he missed last year, but not on suspension. And so we have to factor in that if there are some things hanging out there that uh, it doesn't have to be something for sure where someone actually gets suspended to miss some games. Now, again, I, I think that that's probably a much lesser concern at this point, but we do have some red flags for those guys. And so that is one of the reasons why I'm high on Swift, even though his workload, you know, he's going to have to press to get where he needs to be. It's one of the reasons why, and this is one of the great things about 2022 if you get a late draft slot is that you can end up being really overweight on someone like Saquon Barkley. I was looking through my exposures today and realized that he's the second highest rostered player at the running back position for me. I mean, that could be absolutely huge or it could end up being a problem, but those are some of the dynamics for the expensive older backs. It is one of the reasons why, you know, we're very excited to get Jonathan Taylor and Christian McCaffrey shares, or maybe a little bit more skeptical of the other shares it's also a reason why I 
am still okay with drafting Austin Eckler and Derrick Henry, something that you and I have been talking about um, on this show. And, and also you guys have been talking about a little bit on ship chasing is just the fall that players would have to have. In some of my running back articles recently, I've noted that we're not getting as many backs in that 18 expected points per game range as we had for a few years there, which I would kind of refer to as kind of the, the golden age of the Uber back. For example, we have more guys in that 16 EP range for Austin Eckler and Derrick Henry. They can lose more points, just like, you know, thinking through a Debo Samuel, they can lose more points and still be okay. Whereas the players that are more in that Joe Mixon range, you lose points and suddenly you're getting killed. Suddenly you're a straight dead zone type of back. And so I think that there are some red flags for both Eckler and Henry, but even in decline, I think those guys are still pretty playable, which is why I would get a little bit of exposure to them in that second half of the first round. Obviously, Eckler is just right there in the middle. So that's how I'm looking at the, the early guys. And then the flip side of that is, well, are we going to be too early on Travis Etienne, Brees Hall? Are we going to be too enthusiastic about J.K. Dobbins coming back from this serious injury? They're almost on the very opposite end of the spectrum where the upside is huge, but the volume uncertainty is very, very real. Yeah, and before we jump into that, I think you did a really good job on the early round backs. I want to talk about the dead zone a little bit. Go back to my initial research a little bit. I reread my article from last year at, at, at my Substack that sort of revisited the dead zone and updated some of my initial research and looked back over my initial piece on the concept uh, at CBS in 2019. And I kind of want to talk about the methodology and all of that a little bit, Sean. So I'm gonna <laughs> I'm gonna take you on a little bit of a little bit of a runaround for a few minutes. When I when I was looking at the running back dead zone initially, what I was trying to define was elite running back ceilings. I used a couple different cutoffs, raw points over the course of a season, points per game if a player played at least half the year, and that cutoff for points per game was higher than the points per game equivalent of the raw points one that I used for the full season. So if they didn't finish the whole year, they needed to be really good over that smaller sample. I also looked at this playoff window of weeks 14 to 16 previously. Now it's weeks 15 to 17, obviously, with the you know schedule expanding an extra week and saying players that in those three weeks were absolutely fantastic. It was 23 points per game during that stretch that I was looking at. That threw in a little bit of variance. We got a couple guys thrown in there that weren't even necessarily drafted and had these great late season runs. I, I was looking over a 10-year window when I updated it. I had 12 years of data I was looking at, but you were getting guys like Jerome Harrison back in you know 2009, who had this ridiculous late season run and was never really anything else. Bilal Powell had a year where he did that. So, so that cutoff was a little easier to hit, I guess. I mean, you still had to be really good. But I wanted to see where those players were coming from as well that had these fantastic late season stretches because i do think obviously we want to be identifying that type of player if we can and the the research and the reason that this became sort of a dead zone thing was pretty pretty evident the vast majority came from the first couple rounds there were some in the third round but far fewer than the first or second rounds and by the fourth round in, in my initial research from round four all the way through round nine adps an ADP, historical ADP shifts a little bit. I was using my fantasy league ADP, which goes back and you could set the parameters the same. And so I tried really hard to get it as accurate as I could. From round four to round nine, you had the same number of those types of elite ceiling seasons as you did from round 10 to 16, which is basically the same number of rounds. So you had running backs coming from this 10 to 16 range for the elite seasons at a, this basically the same rate as the four through nine. The reason the four through nine running backs were a little different is they provided some more floor, right? Some of those backs provided solid seasons. And as I was reading back through this the other day, I did a little research just into last year's running backs. A couple that I was coming to mind are Alexander Madison and Dernis Johnson. Madison's a guy that everyone was drafting. He was on best ball teams. Dernis Johnson's a guy that wasn't, but was a waiver wire pickup. Both of them are great examples of something we talk about where we know when we're going to start players like that. It's when they're, they're actually the starter. They are, everyone's playing them in DFS that week. The pro weekly projections understand that that player is going to get a lot of work. 
the DFS sites have gotten so, you know, understanding of this that, that whereas Alexander Madison used to be like a $3,000 or $3,500 player or the equivalent of him several years ago, they keep those guys priced up now in case Dalvin Cook has a midweek injury and Madison's suddenly the starter because it kind of just ruined the game because everyone was going to jam in a $3,500 Alexander Madison as soon as Dalvin Cook was out. Everyone knows you're starting this guy. And Madison was still getting played when he was 6,500 on DFS last year for the record in those games. So it's, you know, you're playing on these weeks. It's not cherry picking. Madison had three weeks of 20 plus PPR points. Dernis Johnson had three weeks of 20 plus PPR points. Josh Jacobs was the highest scoring dead zone back last year. He had two weeks of 20 plus PPR points all season. His receiving role actually materialized, but what the dead zone was telling us was also true. He did not have an elite ceiling. Doesn't mean he didn't have a floor. He wound up being a full season, very low end RB1, which we talk about is just sort of, if you stay healthy and get enough touches, you can be a, a full season low end R1. If you're a guy like Josh Jacobs, he was the RB12 in PPR. The difference between Josh Jacobs and Alexander Madison or Darius Johnson, when you look at full season numbers at this time of year, and we're looking back at last year's numbers and how many yards they ran for over the whole course of the year, is simply all of the other games where Josh Jacobs was producing 15 or 17 points. Those games don't kill you when you don't draft Josh Jacobs. That's the, the whole point. And so if you if you do have an Alexander Madison or you land a Dernus Johnson, I use those examples because it's not saying you landed, you know, Elijah Mitchell or the Rashad Penny or, or whoever off the waiver wire who ended up being so such a star late last year. Th those are guys that, Obviously, you need to hit on a running back if you're doing a zero RB build or an anchor RB build. But the point is, if you had a couple of those types of games in your RB2 slot and you weren't starting Alexander Madison or Jonas Johnson when Nick Chubb and, and Dalvin Cook were in the lineup, those other weeks that you're starting other backs, you're just trying to catch up to Josh Jacobs, basically 15 to 17 point weeks. You can get some of those. Those are not easy to get. But even if you're only getting 10 in a lot of those weeks, you have a couple ceiling weeks from the Madison or Dernish Johnson. Suddenly your RB2 slot for the year from a distribution standpoint doesn't look much different than Josh Jacobs or Ezekiel Elliott's from last year who went in the first two rounds. He's a great example of the older back that we just talked about in the first two rounds who now was going in the dead zone because he had a season like we're describing could happen for some of these older backs. Again, so... My initial zero RB research was, or excuse me, dead zone RB research was a little bit different and it was built completely off your zero RB thesis and, and arguments over the year. I mean, I'll always say that I've said that to anyone who's ever listened that the whole idea comes from everything you always wrote about from zero RB. My whole process was a little bit different than like say Jack Miller, who did great work on it at Rotoviz. He was looking at win rates in best ball. He identified this round three to round six window where the win rates are really poor. Part of that is because those by the time you get to like seven, eight, nine, the opportunity cost for those running backs is lower. And you get a floor season like Josh Jacobs in best ball. It's it's actually a lot more helpful than it is in redraft because you can't get Dearness Johnson in best ball. You can't make waiver. You can't shuffle, right? You can't play that game at running back. You have to have the alternative to Josh Jacobs 15 point weeks. Those are more important in best ball. You have to have the alternative to those 15 point weeks built in in the later rounds and that's not as easy in best ball it's a little bit easier in managed throughout the year when you're figuring out who's playing the receiving back role on some team and, and able to maybe plug him in it's also not easy in managed i understand a lot of people say it's not so easy to get running back points as we make it sound i'm not trying to make it sound easy but i am saying in best ball josh jacobs in round seven or whatever is a better pick than he is in round seven in managed because you're that certainty of who that rb2 is all year matters and manage, don't have that certainty. You're going to play different guys all throughout the year. And you're trying to build a Frankenstein RB2, basically, right? So my research looked at this, this round four to round nine range. And I actually think that's really different since it's an idea that I just recently crystallized after multiple years of thinking about the dead zone vis-a-vis -vis Jack's range of round three to round six, which is often cited. I think that makes perfect sense for best ball. I stand by the dead zone stretching all the way towards rounds nine or 10 in managed because you talk about guys like Miles Sanders this year. There's no point. What is his 20 point weekly upside? I don't see a lot of paths last year. He had zero touchdowns. That's very well known. Maybe perhaps less known is that the backup running backs on that team combined for more than 10 rushing touchdowns at 
Boston Scott, Jordan Howard, Kenny Gainwell all had multiple touchdowns. They are a rotational team, and they didn't seem to like Mahal Sanders in near the near the end zone. He's probably going to score some touchdowns this year, but I don't think he's suddenly going to score 10 or 15. He's not a huge receiving guy in, in the Jalen Hurts offense. There's not a lot of 20-point upside, right? So what you're getting is the certainty that Miles Sanders will be your RB2 for the whole season. The same name will be that guy all year. That's what you're paying for when you draft him in like round eight. He's still a value there, and again, he might make sense in best ball, but in managed, giving up that certainty of who that player will be, and of course that player can also get injured, and there's other ways that that can not work out. He could get beat beat out by by Kenneth Gainwell, giving up that certainty of who that player won't be, you'll be able to build out his scoring profile easier than I think people realize. And that's the real point I just wanted to take a minute to hammer about the dead zone and why I looked at the elite ceiling seasons. It really only makes sense to think about running backs as elites, elite players, when they can give you the elite ceilings. That's why we talk about passwords so much, the legendary upside seasons because if they're not giving you the legendary upside if they're in this 15 to 17 ppr range that's good that's helpful but you can get 12 ppr from waiver wire pickups in most leagues and so you're not losing as much we're looking for league winners we're looking for difference makers and what you're giving up when you take those players in those in the first 10 rounds is you're giving up shots at another league winning receiver for example or a high upside quarterback or you know, potentially you're aiming for a tight end in that range, which we're obviously not huge fans of taking like a round six or round seven tight end. But any of those has more paths to being a massively difference-making player on your redraft roster that you're never going to need to really replace or want to replace when they hit than some of these dead zone backs that are just guaranteed touches. And you could otherwise make that Frankenstein running back in your RB2 slot to pretty much mirror their their distribution, their, their same number of upside weeks, and the, the floor weeks aren't going to kill you. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. I think there are maybe three big points that come out of there. I love that breakdown. I uh, love the mention of Jack's work, which was also fantastic, kind of comparing and contrasting the objectives there. So we have the interesting backs in this sort of three, four, five range. And then, especially based on what you were saying, we have backs in the six, seven range that I think are probably off the board almost entirely and then we get this eight nine range that becomes very interesting to me because even though the backs are probably not as good as selections in redraft as they are in best ball because you have a little bit different quarterback dynamic as well in redraft versus best ball you actually have the running backs in that area about a half round more expensive. So guys that maybe you're getting in round nine in best ball, you've got to take in round eight right now and redraft. And that's taken from comparing our ADP grid from the last sort of four or five days of FFPC best ball to the last four or five days of FFPC redraft. Some of the names in that round eight range in redraft, Miles Sanders, Kareem Hunt, Damian Pierce, Devin Singletary, Cordero Patterson, Rashad Penny, James Cook, and those names are interesting, Ben, because 
of what you were talking about there, where you're buying some touches, but you're also maybe not buying the upside yet that you need. One of the backs who's kind of interesting, Damian Pierce, someone who is not going to appear on the zero RB list. He is a back that I've drafted a couple of times recently in underdog because he did make it deep enough in that particular draft to where the opportunity cost at wide receiver was not a problem. We know that in a lot of drafts, he's very expensive, but you're thinking about a rookie here who was not predicted particularly productive in college he has a little bit of that david montgomery element to him where he breaks a lot of tackles but then doesn't translate it into a bunch of yards now he had the breakout preseason game and one of the elements here i would just remind listeners of and this isn't to say that i'm going to be right on this i could very easily be wrong on individual players you're wrong all the time that's one of the reasons why we're trying to make sure we follow the right types of guidelines big picture to skew as many of these decisions in our favor as possible you have you know this one stretch of game where he looks very good he's been very good in their practices but there are some other backs in this backfield it's an offense that probably will not score very many points i was disappointed at how davis mills played in the second preseason game i know he didn't have brandon cooks out there with him but I, you just need him to take a very big step for this Houston offense to, to deliver the types of goal line opportunities you would need for Pierce to pay off in this range. You know, we've got backs in round seven and Ramondre Stevenson. Stevenson's one of my favorite guys. I think he could have a huge season. So that does shift things a little bit. We're trying to trade for him in dynasty. Obviously that's very difficult right now. And yet you're taking a player who's probably still a backup. I mean, the reason that he's jumped Damian Harris is that this is now looking like a full-blown timeshare and he's a better receiver. The potential for him to have a very high-value touch-laden workload is there, but you also have Ty Montgomery into the equation. So we're looking at players like Tony Pollard, who's going at the 6'11", Ramondre Stevenson. They have that traditional zero RB candidate profile but they've been so inflated in terms of price because drafters have really come around to this profile that they're being selected in an area that doesn't make sense, right? Because that profile can be a home run in rounds 10, 11, 12, 13. When you're drafting a backup in a position where you'd feel uncomfortable with a starter, I mean, Tony Pollard going a few spots after Elijah Mitchell, a few spots after Josh Jacobs, both of those guys, a lot of question marks because they could fall into the kind of situation that Tony Pollard finds himself in. So then we kind of get back to this question of A.J. Dillon, Tony Pollard, Ramondre Stevenson. Are you willing to pay for that scenario where their committee back gets hurt and they suddenly jump out of the dead zone? Are you willing to pay actually pretty extravagant prices? And then how does that compare with backs like Travis Etienne, Brees Hall, and J.K. Dobbins? where I think those players do have the type of upside that we need to pick them, but they may not have it early and they may not have it at all. So it is going to be a little bit of a difficult pick or a a risk reward type of pick because the upside isn't going to manifest itself in the first month. Again, if it's a zero RB candidate, if it's someone in rounds 10 through 14, you're salivating over that type of selection if you're looking at it in rounds three through five, then the miss could be pretty significant. Now, again, we're looking at it from the perspective of the overall build matters. And so if we do what we did in the stolen bananas, chasing stolen bananas draft, where we have a couple of those guys and then that's it, then we've kind of made that bet and we have the ability to churn the roster through the course of the season that part of it is interesting because you get this upside scenario at a letter lesser price than round one and round two and you can do some different things building around it so i think the evolution here of running back adp where we're seeing some of the players that we would traditionally like but they've gotten more expensive that adds another wrinkle to the dead zone as well unsurprisingly you hit right on why i wanted to lay down all of the groundwork i just did because of so so much of what I was just talking about is relative to the 12 years prior to this year, right? And I recognize that drafters in 2022 are now doing things differently. We started the show talking about how was the, the dead zone different in 2022. 
we talked a little bit about how the pre-dead zone area is different, even with the older backs. The back end of the dead zone, where does the dead zone end, is more opaque to me than ever because of what you just said. Drafters are aware of the guys like Josh Jacobs that aren't worth dead zone picks, but now they're falling really, really deep. And so I'm getting questions about how far does Josh Jacobs have to fall? How far does Antonio Gibson have to fall? Which I'm not getting those questions this week after he now looks like the number two, frankly. But the guys that are expected starters, and the way one of the ways that I think about the dead zone, and I've talked about it, is that I feel like after about the 15, first 15 running backs, there's 32 teams, you have the other 17 teams, the back half of the league that we're less sure about, but we still have lead runners on those teams, and they get pushed up, and they get ranked somewhere in that RB15 to RB30 range because they're the lead back on their offense, and that matters because it touches. Sarcasm in my voice a little bit, right? But they always wind up in that block running back 15 to running back 30. We're now seeing some of those lead backs. More offenses are being, there's usually like two offenses that no one trusts and, and they don't even draft the lead back in, in the dead zone. We're now seeing more, I think. We're seeing Josh Jacobs fall out as the Raiders lead back sometimes. We're seeing no Washington back go in that range. There's already no Atlanta back if, if Cordero Patterson's falling out of it. Miles Sanders is falling enough in some leagues where we're not seeing an Eagles back in, in that range. And what's being replaced in those running back slots in 2022 more than ever are the biggest contingency-based shots that used to maybe be eight, nine, ten round plays. Like you said, now A.J. Dillon, Tony Pollard are going much higher. And that changes everything. I think you put it incredibly well because I think there's two elements to the dead zone. One is what I just described about we're just pushing up touches. The other is the opportunity cost. You put it incredibly well with Dillon and Pollard that we're getting into an opportunity cost range at receiver and at other positions that is not really tenable. There's ways to get that profile. As exciting as those players are, if their lead backs are out of the question for some reason, there are ways to get that type of upside profile in later rounds where you don't have to give up an elite receiver potentially or a swing at an elite receiver, potentially an elite quarterback. Again, various ways to play those ranges and running back is typically not one of the best ones. So the running backs that are good plays that were used to be outside the dead zone back, some maybe the best zero RB candidates in another, another year. I was really in on AJ Dillon last year when he was in a round eight, he started being round seven. It was tougher. You can't take him this year. I don't, I love AJ Dillon, but I, I don't draft him anywhere because of where he goes. So those guys that are being pushed up because of this dynamic, I think are now untenable. The guys that are falling I think are also untenable because they are, I think they can work in zero RB builds. They then eventually that floor, that 15 point guarantee touches works as part of a group of backs where you're also adding players that if they break out, they can give you real 20 point upside. But at a certain point, Josh Jacobs, who this year, again, last year, he was fifth in the NFL in receptions. Most projections, my projections, I know Mike Leone, who I did the projection show with, and others that I've talked to are not even projecting as many targets this year for Josh Jacobs as he had receptions last year. That's going to drop off. His 20-point upside, which wasn't even great last year, is going to be worse. That player can make sense as part of a build as a floor guy, and then you're getting other upside shots at running back. It's an interesting, unique play. But like right at the edge of the dead zone, you kind of talked about it with Damian Pierce, I guess, but right at the edge of the dead zone, I don't want to take it if the opportunity cost is too high. I'm with you on Pierce. 106 carries is his career high uh, or was his career high in college. Never really shown workhorse tendencies. Marlon Mack looked pretty good in their second running, their second preseason game. Everybody talked about how Pierce got the night off, and that's a great sign, and it is a great sign. But Mack also looked like the pre-2019 Achilles tear, 2020 Achilles tear, Marlon Mack, that matters. And Rex Burkhead's probably going to play on third downs, and this is not a good offense. And so what is Damian Pierce? Like, what, what is his upside? So it's you have to be careful in the dead zone. But then the, the other thing you mentioned was uh, the J.K. Dobbins types, the guys that are in the dead zone, not just because they're getting pushed up on, on contingency value, and they're young. And, and longtime listeners will know that the dead zone backs we're willing to target are the young ones. When I did that study, and I looked at the round four to nine backs and the elite ceilings, weren't there. The ones that were there were first or second year players, the occasional third year player. It was guys showing us who they are for the first time. The other big part of that list that I talked a lot about in the original piece back in 2019 and again last year is that the vast majority of the elite seasons were from repeat players, guys that were already on the list before 
And so that's the other element of these young players that I think is really interesting that I'm going to write about here in 2022 is you have to believe not just they can be league winning or difference making or what have you type running backs this year. You have to believe they can do it next year or in 2024. You have to believe they can do it over multiple multiple seasons. Your targets in the dead zone should be more almost like a dynasty focus than a redraft focus. And then after I wrote all that, we talked a little before the show, Sean, that even since my running back tiers article released last weekend, as I started doing more of this research, I've shifted my tiers. Because as I wrote all that, I also felt that some of those older backs we talked about in the first few rounds weren't good bets. Leonard Fournette has never done this. He's never had one of, hit any of those cutoffs that I laid out. He didn't even do it last year. Joe Mixon has never done this. That's basically what you're always talking about. Joe Mixon, as good as he is, just isn't quite there. He never hit any of those cutoffs in a season. Even last year did not hit that those cutoffs that I talked about. Do I think Joe Mixon is going to do that over multiple years now? Because there's very few one-time running backs on this on this list in terms of difference-making players. And at this stage of his career, that would be shocking if Joe Mixon were to now do this two times. And so there are some guys that I moved down or shuffled the way that I did the tiers. It's part of why I moved Javante Williams then into my second tier and made and, and combined some of my like half tiers behind that, where I was like. Some of these other packs I don't actually feel very good about. The ETNs, the Halls, the Dobbins, those are, that's where you can make a case for them. Is Those are players that if we're right on them, we're not going to just be right for 2022. They're going to be first-round picks in 2023. They're going to be a part of this cohort of guys that can do it over multiple years. That's what the bet is, that these guys are just something that drafters don't understand right now, but they will in the 2023 and it ties back into our 2023 first and second rounds they will understand this next year and that's what we talked about we're saying they very well might and that they're going to be top 24 picks next year and they were featured in our projecting 2023 show it does get a little bit tricky to draft them this time of the season and i think that you have to be humble enough to admit that you could easily be wrong and miss on these players and yet you have to be willing to kind of fight through the uncomfortable time because that's the only way that you actually draft them and get them and have that exposure. I mean, it's, it's tricky right now. And I look at my exposures that have a lot of hall, a lot of ETN, a lot of Dobbins, and you know, you're being hit with this news of Michael Carter as the starter for the jets of Mike Davis, probably getting the most carries for the, the Ravens early in the season for Travis ETN being the starter and probably having a pretty heavy workload, but then the anticipation that James Robinson will come back and take a lot of that at some point during the season. Now, the potential for that one is to evolve to where Travis Etienne becomes pretty similar to Christian McCaffrey and Austin Eckler, probably not McCaffrey on a pure talent level. He's just in such a different group than everyone else, but being used in that way. So maybe that balances that out. Those are very real risks. And I don't want any of our listeners to think that we're discounting the problems that those types of things could cause or discounting how it would affect how those running backs would score or discounting the possibility that you make a pick and lose because that kind of thing does happen. The flip side of it is just that if you do want to get that value out of the dead zone and you do want to be on a back who blows up, you have to be willing to have the courage to make that pick when there are question marks you have to be willing to make the deandre swift pick last year when jamal williams is getting a lot of buzz and simply bet on the players who have star talent and that that will work its way out if you aren't willing to make those bets through the years you won't have the exposure you will also avoid some of the misses so it's going to come back to your personal draft approach what you're comfortable with what you think that you're good at one of the things that i like to recommend for drafters is you know do what you do well and if there are some things that you feel comfortable with and you feel like you have had success hitting on certain player profiles and certain sort of risk reward profiles big picture with your draft lean into the things that work for you don't try and force what ben likes or what i like onto that if it doesn't work but if you're having success with it, obviously don't, don't go away from it either. If kind of this balance of, and we talk about it from time to time and it, it can be a little bit tricky to articulate, but I do think that it's that combination of courage and humility as you're drafting that is so crucial to making this work for you as you try and navigate both the early picks, the dead zone picks, 
And then once we get onto the border of sort of exciting zero RB candidates, how you navigate that is going to be based a lot on your temperament and what works for you. Absolutely. And and I know you want to talk maybe some some more specific names, and I apologize for kind of taking the whole show to make my point. But what I, I feel like the stuff that I've been arguing, people will say, well, what Ben, when would you take a running back? Because you're saying that the ones that have risen into the dead zone are now too expensive, and the ones that are falling still don't really give you enough. And the answer is what we've said for a long time, frankly, that the more optimal drafting would be leagues where running backs, where the dead zone typically was, just fall. (laughs) They all fall. Everyone's not taking them. And then you can take them after the cutoffs of other positions, after the wide receiver cutoff. And we do see that. We see that more in best ball. We've started to see that in some of the main event stuff. We're seeing a lot more main event drafters, even people who used to be big, robust RB drafters, go anchor running back or two RBs and then hammer receiver rounds three through seven, if you will. A lot more drafts were rounds four and five and six or even more wide receiver heavy than before. But my answer would be that there's not a lot of dead zone. As, as it's evolved, there's not a lot of dead zone picks that make any sense in almost any build as receiver has started to crystallize more as the need for an elite quarterback continues to expand, which is something that, you know, maybe we haven't talked about a ton, but is definitely there. I mean, I think we've talked about it over the last couple of years, plenty. Are there backs other than ETN Hall and Dobbins that you would be willing to take in the wide receiver window? No, there, there aren't. And there might be a very unique situation where I would get a Ramondre Stevenson share, but I was going to kind of close out my remarks on this topic by saying, you know, be very aware of that wide receiver avalanche. We get them on ship chasing and, and OT listener leagues, but you and I, like you're saying, we've also seen them in main events at this point. For me, that wide receiver group that you have to just load up on so heavily stretches through Devonte Smith at wide receiver 41 you could potentially include Kadarius Tony with all of the issues that the rest of the Giants receivers are having. Obviously, Tony himself is not actually exempt from that. He's just someone who, if he could ever get healthy, would benefit. It's that group right after Smith, a wide receiver 41. That's the middle of round eight that we suddenly get Devin Singletary, Cordero Patterson, Rashad Penny, James Cook, Damian Harris, Kenneth Walker, Melvin Gordon. That, I think, is where running back starts to get very interesting. One of the things that I want to close with is we always get asked, how does this apply to 0.5 PPR? And what I would say is the comments about like Josh Jacobs scoring profile, only having two 20-point games vis-a-vis Alexander Madison and Dernis Johnson and how you can create the Frankenstein running back, all of that applies even when you change the scoring system. Alexander Madison and Dernis Johnson, whatever your cutoff is, I was talking about PPR, but their ceiling games were comparable to Josh Jacobs' ceiling games. The difference is in 0.5 PPR – while the you know the Josh Jacobs or Ezekiel Elliott types 15 to 17 point games, they do come down a little bit. They are a little bit more valuable because it is a little bit harder to find in 0.5 PPR, a 10 or 12 point receiving back. You can't play the receiving side as more. You can't just play the receptions, which is you know maybe cheap, but it is one way to do that with a JD McKissick off the waiver wire in shallower leagues or what have you. You can't do that as much in 0.5 PPR, but the, the the issue of opportunity cost still exists. The issue of what the ceiling is and whether they're breakout players still exists across formats. The scale at which running backs are hit, especially the high-volume ones that don't catch a lot of passes, that are hit from PPR to half to standard, just in terms of their raw scoring, is different than receivers. So like a Nick Chubb all the way down to standard suddenly is like, okay, we get this really electric, exciting, uh, efficient runner, and we don't have to worry about the fact that he doesn't catch any passes because he does rack up a lot of yards and touchdowns. Suddenly I would move Nick Chubb up a tier in standard, right? And a half, be much more interested to consider him. But you still have the dynamic where you can create the Frankenstein running back. You still have all of those elements. You can get ceiling games from Alexander Madison in any format. His, His games last year were very good in any format. It does change as PPR shifts 
you know, to half or to zero PPR, it doesn't change everything. It doesn't suddenly mean you want to stack a ton of running back risk or that you can't find ways to get running back points later. In, in those formats, I would be way more interested in a Josh Jacobs if he falls into the ninth round, though, as part of a build. As you know, I was talking about when he falls far enough. I don't know if he would fall that far in point five. Probably not in most leagues. But whoever, Damian Harris, who you brought up, players like that who might be just outside the the wide receiver window, I'm probably pivoting to players who have some guaranteed roles and can get some of those floor points, if you will, as part of my zero RB or anchor RB build or my RB room, whatever, in 0.5 or standard, I'm probably pivoting a little earlier to get some of that type of work. Some of those guys that can have a lot of touchdowns, Damian Harris, 15 touchdowns last year. Great. In standard, certainly. Um, But it doesn't change all of what we've said. That's the way that I would put it. It's a little bit different, certainly. And that's the perfect way to describe that there. The thing that changes for me is that you're not going to get quite the massive advantage from winning the race to fill the flex through the wide receiver as opposed to the running back. But the rest of the dynamics, exactly like you described, are still there. You still benefit from those late running backs who hit. And one of the things that is really interesting now that we have underdog with the half PPR and such the emphasis on that is that if you look up the underdog roster construction explorer and you kind of meld the takeaways from that with the takeaways from the win the flex one of the things that you see is that the expensive wide receivers are the ones who actually compete the best with running backs and so even if you have this big shift in favor of running backs in terms of the scoring those star wide receivers are the ones who can be competitive you move forward and it's again this kind of element that we talk about every year which is that wide receiver actually isn't deep and the later wide receivers compete very poorly with the type of Frankenstein running back that you're describing. So from that perspective, yeah, I mean, you, you're going to look at the flex a little bit differently, but big picture, you still want to be very, very wide receiver heavy, and you definitely still want to respect the dead zone. Sean, this got me really excited to hit on a couple young running backs early, maybe into that dead zone, but mostly be going zero RB, anchor RB through all of our remaining drafts. I think it's a great year for it. I think as drafters have gotten more aware of the dead zone and they've responded, that that's only made things more fertile, especially as we have, again, this dynamic in the first three rounds where there's a lot of risky running backs just on age alone, but profile as well. I talked about the ones that have never even had an elite season by the metrics that I that I look at. I just I don't think you can draft at, at, at those costs, even though – we do sometimes see a lot of what I said about the elite ceilings in the dead zone and the older backs not being the ones that come out of there. We do see older elite ceilings from the first couple of rounds. When drafters are buying in, oftentimes the wisdom of the crowd is right. No, I shouldn't say oftentimes, but it can be right. We don't want to completely write off of Aaron Jones elite season or something like that. But I don't want to take him for, you know, when, when we're giving people advice of what we're doing in our leagues, I, based on all this research I've done just to tie a bow on it, I don't want to take any of those 27-year-old backs. I want to take some DeAndre Swift. I want to take some Javante Williams. I want to get exposure to McCaffrey and Taylor and, and Saquon is not quite that old and still somebody who's already actually had two seasons that have hit into that elite bucket. One was just through the playoff stretch uh, cutoff that I use, and the other was obviously his rookie season was just fantastic. There's not a lot of other players I want to take in the first couple of rounds at this position. There's the couple you mentioned in the early part of the dead zone. But, man, there's a lot of fun receivers in those ranges. What we will talk about soon, though, Sean, you said coming up potentially next week will be the running backs to target. After the dead zone, the zero RB candidates, as I talked about at the top of the show, you are writing about them. Make sure you're reading them. We won't be able to get through everything that you're going to put in your articles. It is so important because of everything we talked about on this show. That's where you should be drafting running backs. Sean is incredible at identifying because he's been doing this for a lot longer. Experience is very helpful. He's been telling us to draft this way for a lot longer than anyone else is drafting this way. He knows what works. He knows what does not work. And he hits on a lot of these running backs. It's funny, the early years you were doing this, you would put some notes about where there were some hits in past years because you have to do that kind of thing and show people, you know, your successes or failures as they were. And now that list just gets longer and longer and longer. Every year there's massive hits. You have them on the list every single year. So yeah, make sure you're uh, subscribed to Rotoviz. Go read those. And we'll talk about some of those players, not all of them. You're not going to get all of them on the show, but some of them next week.
I can't wait. And we're going to do some more drafts. This has been absolutely fantastic. Ben has a lot of stuff coming for you, including some of the articles he teased today. Make sure you sign up for Stealing Signals. Make sure you sign up for his new venture with Dalton Cates, Stealing Lines. If you want to join us at Rotoviz, you can get a 10% discount using the coupon code RVRADIO2022 at checkout. We really appreciate you guys listening. Uh, leave us a rating and review. Subscribe to the feed. We'll be back with you soon. See you guys. Bye.